0: Well, good morning, ladies. Thank you all for having me here this morning. I'm I'm grateful to be here in more ways than one. I had this um, well, <laughs> cricket asked me last summer to do this, so I've had eight months to get nervous and prepare. And you'd think with all that time, I'd be revved up and ready to go today. And I and I am, but I recently had this this dream that the wireless microphone broke, and I had to hold a microphone, and I was shaking and. My family will love this. And my dream, they asked me, you will ask me to sing. So thank you, Lord, that technology works today. Because, um, of course, I am a little nervous. See, typically on Saturday mornings, I'm at a different meeting. And at that meeting, I introduce myself and I say, good morning. I'm Kelly. I'm an alcoholic. And the group responds in unison, hi, Kelly. Just to ease my nerves a little bit, let's do that, okay? (laughs) Good morning, I'm Kelly, I'm an alcoholic. All right, I feel a little bit more at home now. My prayer in our time this morning would be that I would just move out of the way and God would tell his story. It's history, but it's really his story to tell now. And I pray that our time together would be a reflection of his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness throughout all generations. I pray that it would be a reflection of the miracles that he has done, and he still does today, February 9, 2019. I've got a couple things I want to preface with before we really get started. Um, you can change the slide. Um Two things we're, we're, I would love to discuss, but we're just not going to have time today and the allotted time that we have, and one of them is addiction and the disease of addiction and how it works in your brain. It's really fascinating, and I love to talk about it, but Tim Hilton is really the expert on this, and he's going to be speaking March 14th at Hope Church, and I'll be there, so if any of y'all are interested, feel free to join me. Um, you can change the slide back. Um I'm sharing my information with y'all. That's my cell phone number and that's my email address. It is my passion and my purpose, this side of eternity, to help those who are struggling with addiction. I want to spend a few minutes talking about my growing up because you wouldn't have pegged me as being the girl in your Sunday school class here at First of Anne. Or in your Bible class at Briarcrest, or in your small group, where you whispered behind closed doors and said, "They're going to have to watch out for her. She is trouble." No, no, I was I was a good girl, and I did what good girls do, and I hung out with good girls. <laughs> I'm originally from Florence, Alabama where we've had the women's conference the last, um, I don't know how many years, but I had the privilege of going there in the fall with my mom and sisters, and we got to hear Carrie Shear speak. She was, she was really good, wasn't she, for those of you all that were there. Um, she shared a couple of things that really resonate with me that I want to share with you all this morning because because it pertains to what we're going to be talking about. And one of the things she shared that I really liked was there are two chapters at the beginning of the Bible and two chapters that at the end that are happy, glorious, and free, and everything else in between is hardship and trials and tribulations. Another thing she said that I really liked was, aren't we glad that Jesus' greatest desire was not relief? So I'm from Florence. We moved to Memphis in 81. I was one, and so I'm 38 now, just to save you all the trouble of math. I'm the oldest of three girls. My sisters are here. My sister from Birmingham drove in for today. We're all four years apart. And if any of y'all have studied birth order, (laughs) I'm hearing some giggles. What they say about the oldest is true of me. Strong-willed, stubborn, independent, that's me. My parents have been there every step of the way. I thought about this as I was preparing. You know, it's not often that you get a chance to stand up in front of a group full of people before your parents pass away. Hopefully that's no time soon. Where you get to say how much they mean to you and how much their marriage has meant to you. They've been members here at First of Anne for 30 years, over 30 years now, and they've been married 47 years. And it is really a joy to be able to say, I love my parents' marriage. It's been fun to watch. It was fun to grow up in their home. They raised us in a wonderful, wonderful, godly home. They really did. We grew up in Kirby Wood, right around the corner, and I went to Briarcrest, K4 through twelfth grade, and graduated around the corner at that Briarcrest that's now High Point, the old Briarcrest as we call it. And I was here at First of Ann. I grew up here at First of Anne. Many of y'all know me from growing up. And I came to know the Lord at a young age, and I do remember it like it was yesterday. I remember being back in the dunk tank back there when the fellowship hall used to have the baptismal. And Dr. Lipfin baptized me. And I stood there, and I remember my grandfather standing right in front. And he was smiling so big, my mom's dad. I can't wait to see him again one day. And I told First of all, and I told the world that I love Jesus, and I want to follow him all the days of my life. Well, I can promise you 30 years later, standing in almost the exact same spot, that is just as true today as it was then. So 12 years old, I was a competitive gymnast. I still am. Well, not the gymnast part, but still competitive. (laughs) I do yoga. That's about as close to gymnastics as I get nowadays. Uh, Very competitive. And when I was 12, my gymnastics coach said to me, you want to be the best, don't you? Well, of course I want to be the best. I always want to be the best. I still want to be the best. She said, well, you probably need to be as thin as she is. Well, this was 1991, 92, pre-World Wide Web. And and I fell into a pretty serious eating disorder. Most of us nowadays know a lot more about eating disorders than we did then. There weren't Facebook videos saying, oh, my daughter went through anorexia and here's how we helped her. No, it was tough. And I mention this as being an important marker in my journey, because I believe it was the beginning of addiction manifested in my life. We talk about eating disorders being rooted in control. We don't really dig a lot deeper in discussion about that. You know, control is really rooted in fear. All of our emotions are, they're rooted in fear or they're rooted in love. And fear took over my life at 12 years old. I knew that in order to go off to college, I needed to be at a certain weight, and I got back to good. I got back to good, and I had a really good high school experience. Most of my best friends to this day are still my best friends from growing up. So I went to Auburn University in Auburn, Alabama. And if there was ever anybody that was set up for a good college experience, I certainly was. I got involved in the Good Girl sorority And I hung out with the good girls, and I didn't have sex, and I didn't drink, and I didn't hang out with the girls that did. I was a good girl. And even though I probably would not have admitted this out loud, I bet you, looking back, that I believed that God deserved to bless me because I'd obeyed the rules. I'd been a good girl, i.e., I deserve for him to give me what I want meet my husband in college graduate have a little career until I'm ready to stay home and have babies and live happily ever after I deserved that right I was a good girl well like any good girl I wanted a boyfriend so I looked for my boyfriend and I found him in college I found me a boyfriend I found me a Cajun Catholic, life of the party, loves to drink and have fun boyfriend. He took me down to Mardi Gras in Mobile, Alabama, where he was from, and he said, Kelly, you, you've just started drinking. You're going to have to um, pace yourself. <laughs> to this day, I don't really understand what the term pace yourself means, but. He said, this is a marathon weekend of drinking, not a foot race. You're going to have to pace yourself. Well, I was off to the races, and I got drunk that weekend, and I felt free. I felt like I could relax. I felt like I was life of the party. I felt like I portrayed to others what I wanted to be, fun and funny, (laughs) I graduated from college, we had broken up at the time, and I moved to Birmingham, Alabama. And he was my ex-boyfriend at the time, but I just knew we'd get back together. And he was living in Birmingham, so I moved to Birmingham. These wise business decisions we make at 22 years old. <sighs> and I got into real estate. And this was 2003, 2004, real estate was great. It was a great career for me, it was a great fit. And I found my ex-boyfriend, and we got married. It wasn't long after we got married that things, we got married when things were pretty rocky. Um, he had some things from his past that he hadn't quite dealt with and brought it into the marriage, although most of us do. And I thought maybe there was something wrong with me, and I had a relapse with anorexia. Not long after that, we were living in Birmingham, and and I had a chiropractor that that sexually assaulted me, and he said to me, if you tell anybody that I've made you do this to me, I will kill you. My wife is home pregnant with twins, and I've got a successful practice in Birmingham. This Me Too movement that's out there, I don't say much about it, and I really don't have a whole lot to say about it, Um, but I do understand why victims of sexual assault don't just come forward and tell people. I was really scared and I wanted to get out of Birmingham and I took control of the situation and I convinced my husband that we should move to Mobile where he was from. I'd quit selling real estate. I'd join him in his financial business and all would be fine. We moved to Mobile and not long after we moved to Mobile I started drinking alcoholically, and I found friends who would drink with me during the day because we always find what we seek, right? (laughs) I found friends that would drink with me during the day, and I started drinking every day, and one of those days, I cheated on my husband, and it led to a really long, costly divorce that was filled with shame and guilt. He said to me, if you stay in Mobile, I'll make your life difficult, because this is my town, you see? This is my town. He was just as rooted there as my family's rooted in Memphis, and he didn't want me to stay in Mobile. Well, strong-willed, stubborn, budding alcoholic here. Two words, watch me. I'll stay in Mobile, watch me. That probably wasn't the the first or the last time that I've said that in my life. You just watch me. Not long after we got divorced, I was raped. And the guy was apparently notorious for doing this to women in Mobile. And I distinctly remember that was the time. I distinctly remember that was the time where I thought, I will do whatever it takes to escape the way that I feel right now. And I became a raging alcoholic. I would drink every day. I had trouble holding down a job at a restaurant or a bar. I started totaling cars while drinking and driving. And, and I had my first bottom, as they call it. I bottomed out, i.e., I ran out of money. <laughs> Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad, can I, can I come home? Of course you can, sweetheart. Of course you can. Let us help you. Let us get you into some counseling and put you through down. You'll love downline. You can work for dad. And, and I did all those things. And I still loved Jesus with all my heart. And I wanted to follow him all the days of my life. But addiction had taken over. And I couldn't hold up that good girl image anymore in Memphis. And I needed a geographical change quickly. So I found me a job in Austin, Texas. I loved it. I loved Austin. I moved to Austin with this great corporate sales job and I was, I was making more money. And I did exactly what I had been doing in Mobile. For the next five years. More men, more money for a while. It ran out quickly and drugs came in the picture. Pills mainly. I had six or seven doctors writing me scripts for multiple things that I didn't need, and I abused every one of them. I would wake up in sorted places, as we call it in AA, sorted places, not knowing how I got there, where I was, or who that was with me. At this point... It's been about 10 years of doing this, and my body was starting to shut down. I started having physical symptoms from drinking and drugging. My body started shutting down, and I felt like I was dying because I was. Well, God knew what he was doing. As we say in AA, God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. (laughs) He sent... My best friend, Sarah, my best friend from growing up, Sarah, moved to Austin with her husband. He got a job transfer in August of 2015. And she got to see up close and personal how bad it had really gotten. I was black and blue all the time from falling down and passing out. And she has two little girls, and her little girls were seeing me when I'd come over there like this. And she came to me in January of 2016, and she said... Kelly, I love you, but I cannot sit back and watch this anymore. You've got to get help or I'm going to remove myself from your life. I would had a lot of interventions over the course of that decade, but that was the one that I thought, you know, this is the time. This is it. I'm going to go to treatment so I can learn how to drink like normal people drink and I can shut everybody up. This is perfect. So I went to treatment here in Memphis. I was still living in Austin. Went to treatment here in Memphis in February of 2016, three years ago. And I did, I did great at treatment. I stayed clean 28 days, and I found me a boyfriend at treatment while my boyfriend back in Austin was waiting for me with a celebratory bottle of champagne. I didn't get it. I didn't, I didn't get it at all. I was supposed to go back to work March 7th. I'd been on medical leave for six months. And I remember the weekend before I went back to work, stocking up on all my drugs and my alcohol and trying to settle in for a relaxing weekend. I didn't show up for work on March 7th. And I didn't show up for work on March 8th either. And on March 9th, I was supposed to have lunch with my best friend, Sarah, only a best friend. I didn't show up. Well, she goes looking for me. She comes looking for me. She knows something's something's wrong. She calls 911, and the paramedics knocked down my door to my apartment, and they found me down lying unresponsive in a coma on my bathroom floor. If you want to change the slide. They rushed me to Seton Hospital in Austin. They put me on life support. And they told my parents, if she makes it out of this, it's likely she'll be a vegetable. They ended up doing a trach. I have a scar right here that reminds me every day that Jesus saved my life. He reached down and he said, I'm not done with you yet, little lady. I've got bigger plans for your life. I stayed in a coma for 10 days. They started seeing improvements. And I made a full medical recovery. Everything works. You'd think that anybody that comes through something like that, y'all can change it, Any anybody that goes through something like that would come out of it and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving my life. I will do anything for you for the rest of my life. I want to follow you all the days of my life. No. I was angry. I was belligerent. I was a wild child for a few days, and I tried to convince the hospital, the the hospital staff and my family, that I could stay in Austin and make it work. (laughs) It would have been a vote of a thousand against one. No one wanted me to stay in Austin My dad and my friends had packed up my apartment. I'd lost my job. I had nowhere to go. I was in debt up to my eyeballs. So I agreed that I would make it to Texarkana halfway and reevaluate how I felt. That's what I was going to (laughs) do. The mind of a chronic alcoholic. Well, this is where y'all come in. See, mom and dad reached out to their friends here. And the army of prayer warriors at this church, I am eternally grateful for. Jim and Kathy Graham were in mom and dad's Sunday school class. And Jim said to my parents, I don't typically offer up my sister's help, but she might be able to help Kelly. She's been sober a long time. And Kelly might want to call her. So we set out on this 10-hour journey back to Memphis. Mom and me. On March 23rd, 2016, we are both scared to death. And mom says, the only thing that I I would suggest is that you would call Dotsie Graham, Jim's sister. Okay. I called Dotsie. And fortunately, she didn't answer. I didn't want her to answer. <laughs> And within a few minutes, Dotsie called me back, and she said, I'll meet you at your parents' house tomorrow at 8 a.m. We weren't getting home until after midnight, and I looked at mom like, I don't, I don't think we should get up that early. She's, she says, I'll make coffee. You'll be fine. <laughs> so that next morning, this angel shows up on my doorstep, and she shares her story with me. She was in what's called recovery I only knew recovery from having knee surgery. I didn't know anybody in recovery. And she said to me, Kelly, you have three options from here on out in your life. You can be locked up in prison. You can be covered up in a pine box, or you can sober up. But those are your only three options from here. And for the first time that I could remember... I truly surrendered. I said, I have a major problem. (laughs) A major problem. Um, My life is unmanageable. I'm scared to death. And I need help. Can you help me? I truly believe that this is when God does his best work. There's a verse in Hosea that says, and he will call her out into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. And from there, he will give her the fruitfulness of her vineyard. I started getting honest. I started doing the next right indicated thing. The most remarkable thing happened in the beginning. I would go places and come home to my parents. And where I told them I went was actually where I went. I started telling the truth. It was incredible. I could sleep. I didn't have to pass out and come to every day. I could fall asleep and I could wake up. I started getting involved in AA. And I went through Bradford's outpatient treatment center. You know how we tell these young girls in college that are looking for the one? We say, oh, it'll happen when you least expect it. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, I had a hole in my neck the size of a quarter from where they'd taken that trach out. They don't sew that up. It's pretty disgusting. And I had a patch over my neck, and I usually wrapped a scarf around my neck to go to my AA meetings. And God knew what he was doing. He introduced me to the love of my life. He loves the Lord. He's 14 years sober. He's a guiding light in my life. And we'll celebrate being married two years this summer. He has three wonderful children. March 9th, a month from today, Lord willing, I'll celebrate three years being clean and sober. But I'm still an alcoholic. I'm still an addict. It's an incurable disease. But there's treatment for it. I'll continue to go to my AA meetings. I'll continue to work with Dotsey as I've done the last three years. I'll continue to be involved with friends who are in recovery. I'll help others. Who are struggling. And if I do those things and I do my 12 steps and I continue to remember every single day that I can only take it a day at a time, there's a good chance I'll stay sober for the rest of my life. If y'all wanna change the slide again, my life is full now. It's full. I've experienced real love, I've experienced true forgiveness. I've experienced what compassion is, understanding. There's not too much that anybody can tell me that shocks me anymore. Chances are I've either been there or I know somebody that has. See, I don't have to live my life like a victim anymore, which is what I did. Well, you would drink too if you'd been through what I've been through. I did that for over 10 years, and look where it got me. See, I'd rather live the rest of my life sober, thoroughly convinced at the core of my existence that I am an alcoholic than live the rest of my life drunk, trying to convince everybody else that I'm not. See if y'all recognize the lyrics to this song. For though the hordes of hell may rage, their power will not endure. Our times are in, the Father's hands, our anchor is secure. O Church of Christ, upon that day when all are gathered in, when every tear is wiped away with every trace of sin. If y'all want to stand and join me, we'll be singing to God be the glory.